We're the week after Easter, right? We're the week following Easter. Last week we talked about our risen Savior, um, and we kicked off this, this series of resurrection life. And we, and we looked at it, and we started it off by looking at the story of the first people that found that the tomb was empty. And it, it was these women who came to uh, the tomb, and they were like, wait a minute, what's going on here? What's happening here? The tomb is empty. And the angel showed up, and he said to him, our key word for last week, and what was that key word? Anybody remember? I'm just going to ask it. Anybody remember? Remember. Remember. Okay? Can you remember? It's remember. The key word last week was remember, and it was that idea of remember everything that he taught you. This is what the angel said. Remember he said this was going to happen. Okay? Remember it. But not just remember that moment and that time when he said this was going to happen, but remember everything that he did and everything that he said and everything that he taught in light of this new information of the resurrection, okay? And I encourage this last week. We have to remember everything that he did and he taught and he said in light of the resurrection, okay? And so we're going to dive into this idea a little bit more um, because the resurrection changes everything. It absolutely changes everything. What you thought you knew and what you thought you understood, this is again the, the angels to the women, what you thought you knew and you understood about what he was saying, listen, the resurrection changes that meaning. It changes your understanding of what you uh, encountered and what he said to you at that time. So um, for us, it changes the understanding. What Jesus did doesn't change. What Jesus taught doesn't change but it, it changes our understanding of who he was and what he actually accomplished for us. And so that's the whole point of this sermon series, this idea of resurrection life, because the, the idea of, resurrect, of the resurrection gives us resurrection life. What is resurrection life? What is it that Jesus came to accomplish? When he said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly, what was it? What, 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 was it? what did he say? What did he do? What does it mean for this idea of resurrection life because the resurrection is the vehicle by which we get that resurrection life, okay? It's the way that it happened. So for the scripture today, I wanna go back to where we left off last week and I wanna talk about, again, the resurrection, okay? So we're gonna look at uh, Luke chapter 24, if I can get there, Luke chapter 24, and we're gonna uh, go back over a couple of verses that we talked about last week and we're gonna pick it up and we're gonna continue on to find out what happened after these women saw that the tomb was empty. So Luke chapter 24, verse six, we'll start there. And the angel said to the women, it says this, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the son of man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise from the, th rise from the dead. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb, and they reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now these women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe the women. Nevertheless, Peter got up and he ran to the tomb and when he stooped and looked in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So the women 
have this experience, this incredible experience where they go from the lowest of lows, they're mourning Jesus, they're mourning the loss of, of the Messiah, who they, this guy who they thought was the Messiah, they're, they're mourning him, to, and they go from that to this absolute high of understanding that he's not dead. He was dead, but he's not dead anymore, okay? And they're, under, they're starting to grasp this, this thing. He's, uh, he's actually alive. He did actually die, but now he's actually alive. And that changes things for them. And so they go and they tell this incredible story to the apostles. It says that they visited the apostles, the, the 11. So all the apostles except for Judas, who is, who is no longer with them. And what's their reaction? What's the reaction? It's nonsense, right? The apostles hear this story, this incredible thing that these women have uh, for, for everybody. And, and it's this news of like, listen, God has done this thing. And the scripture says that the words seem to them as nonsense. It doesn't make sense. It's illogical. What do you mean? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? He's alive. No, we saw him die. Are you saying that he never died? No, we saw him die. Okay. Everybody here saw him die. We know that he's dead. What do you mean he's alive? What do you mean he's risen? What, is, what are you talking about? It's nonsense. It doesn't make sense. This morning, I want to talk about Peter and Peter's reaction to this news. Because Peter is the only other one of the 11. He's the only other one that is named in this whole scenario, okay? He's the only one uh, that we find out more information about with, with his reaction to this. Peter is, is one of the 11. Peter is with them. He is with the group who says, this is nonsense, okay? He's with them. He's at that point. He understands that with them. The scripture says that they told the apostles. The apostles thought that they were saying what they were saying was nonsense. Peter is an apostle. Therefore, Peter thinks what they're saying is nonsense. He's with them. He thought they were crazy. He thought they lost it. But the very next word in the text is our word for this morning, okay? If remember was our key word last week, this word is our key word for this week. Nevertheless. Nevertheless, it's kind of a weird word. It's actually three words. We just shove them together and we make one, right? That's how we do it. Nevertheless, nevertheless, Peter thought what the women was saying, what we're saying was nonsense. Nevertheless, he got up and he ran to see for himself. Why? What drove Peter to the moment of nevertheless. What drove the nevertheless for Peter? Peter thought they were crazy. He didn't believe them. He saw Jesus hanging on the cross. He witnessed them stabbing a spear into his side as he was hanging there. Luke 23 says that those uh, who were his acquaintances stood a distance and saw him die, okay? Peter saw it. He saw it. He knew it with everything that was in his knower, okay? He, he knew that Jesus was dead. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he had to go up and see for himself. So I want to dive into this just a little bit this morning, and I want to see if maybe we can discover something about what might be going through Peter's mind in this situation, because the, the scripture says that the angel or the, the women came and they told them all that had happened, okay? 
which means they told them, hey, remember how Jesus told us this. Remember, okay, remember. You remember that, don't you? You remember, remember it. So what is Peter's experience of remembering when Jesus told them all of this stuff, that all of this stuff was gonna happen? And listen, I can't get into Peter's mind. I can read the text. So go with me on this, right? Imagine this scenario. Imagine yourself in this scenario as Peter is experiencing it. And we're gonna jump back and forth, okay? We're gonna go from Peter at the present time, which is Peter at the resurrection, resurrection day. And we're gonna go back to uh, uh, Luke chapter nine, which is where we're going, to where Peter is, uh, is experiencing Jesus saying these things to them, okay? So we're gonna go back to Luke chapter nine and let's look at the time when the angels say, hey, remember when he said this to you. Here's the time that they're remembering, okay? So Luke chapter nine, this is what the people are remembering when the angels say, hey, remember when he said this to you. This is what Peter is remembering. Verse 18, Luke chapter nine, verse 18. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and he questioned them saying, who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others said, Elijah, but others that, that one of the prophets uh, of old has risen. Okay, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Basically, the, the disciples are like, listen, they don't know. They say you're Elijah, they say you're John the Baptist, they say you're, you're one of the other prophets, but they, the people don't know, okay? They know that you're a prophet or they know that you're doing some good stuff, but they don't know who you are. And Jesus said this, and he said to them, verse 20, but who do you say that I am. And Peter answered, and he said, the Christ of God. You're the Messiah, that word Christ. It means you're the Messiah. You are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah of God. But he warned them, Jesus warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone saying, here's, your, here's our text, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. There it is. Okay, they're remembering this. Jesus said this. Hey, remember when he said in Galilee, this is it, okay? And this is what Peter is remembering. This is what Peter is remembering. So, so the women tell the apostles that the angels told them to remember. And so as they remember that time in Galilee when Jesus said this, this is what Peter is remembering. Oh, this is that time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, this is that time. This, this is that time when Jesus asked who the people who the people thought he was and they didn't really have an answer and nobody else had an answer. But you know what I said? I said he was the Messiah. I had that answer. This is Peter's response. I had that answer. Nobody else knew it, but I knew it, okay? This is that time. Yes, I remember. I remember that time. This was Peter's moment in, in a way, okay? This was his big moment. If you look in the gospel of Matthew and you look at this story, Jesus responds to Peter and he said, blessed are you, Simon, because nobody told you this. This is my father in heaven that revealed this to you. And I say to you that Peter, you are Peter, you are rock, you are, you are Petra, you are Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. This is a big moment for Peter. Peter remembers. When the women say the angels told us to remember when he said this, Peter remembers that this was that moment, a big moment. But I believe that Peter went from, oh, this was 
This was that moment. This is when, this is when I, I knew that he was the Messiah. This is that moment. He goes from that experience and it turns very quickly to, oh, this is that moment. It changes very quickly for Peter, that memory, because what Jesus says next in Luke chapter 9, right after he says this whole thing, is a very, very poignant memory for Peter three days after the crucifixion, okay? So let's look at this, Luke chapter 9. Jesus said this, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what good does it do if a man uh, to, excuse me, for what good does it do a, man, a person if he gains the whole world but loses and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So the women say, remember how he told us that this was going to happen? Remember, you remember that, right? And Peter, I see Peter in the corner. And Peter's over there with his arms crossed, slouched in the corner. And he says, oh, oh yeah, this was, this was that, this was that day. Oh, this was that day. I remember that. I remember when he said these things. I remember declaring that he was the Christ. I remember that. And then I remember him saying that anyone who wants to follow him had to deny himself. I didn't deny myself. I denied him. I denied him. And he said if we deny him, that he's going to deny us. He said if we're ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of us in, in the presence of the Father, in the presence of the holy angels. Do you see what Peter is remembering? Remember how he told us, yeah, I remember how he said to deny ourselves. And three days ago, I just denied him. I was scared. I didn't want to lose my life. I didn't want to be killed along with Jesus. But he said, if we try and save our lives, we're going to lose it. That's where Peter is. That's where Peter is. I remember that. That's what Peter is saying. Jesus is arrested and Peter is recognized long. He's recognized as being one of them. And he says, no, nah, I didn't know him. Three times. I didn't know him. Who are you talking about? Like, that's not me. You must, you must be mistaken. No, 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 no. That's not me. That's not me. That's not me, he said. And on the third time, when Peter denies Jesus, the rooster crows, which Jesus had said, after you deny me, Peter, three times the rooster is going to crow. And as the rooster crows, the scripture says that Jesus turned and he looked at Peter. And it says Peter went out and he wept bitterly. That is the last interaction that Peter had with Jesus before he saw him on the cross, before he was dead. The last interaction that Peter had, the last memory that Peter has with Jesus is meeting his eyes 
as the rooster is crowing, seeing the pain in his eyes, in Jesus' eyes, knowing I caused that pain because I denied him. That's the last memory that Peter has as he's sitting here and these women bring him this news that he's alive. Well, that doesn't make sense. It almost makes me sick to my stomach to imagine what Peter might have felt. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So remember when he said this would happen is not a happy memory for Peter. It is not a good memory for Peter because Peter in that moment, he knows, he knows what Jesus said. He knows what he said back then. He knows that just three days ago, he was trying to save his life. He knows Jesus said, if you try and save your life, you're gonna lose it. And Peter was trying to save his life. He knows that Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'm gonna be ashamed of you in the presence of my father. Peter knows that and he denied Jesus. He was ashamed to be among that group. Peter knows that. He knows it. He knows he messed this one up. Peter's last memory with Jesus is meeting him eye to eye at a distance and seeing the pain that he's causing Jesus. And I believe Peter knows, or Peter believes because of Jesus's words that there is no hope for him. Because of Jesus's words, that if anyone denies me, if anyone is ashamed of me, I will deny him and be ashamed of him before my father. And that's where it ends for Peter because Jesus is dead. There's not a chance to make this one up for Peter. That's what Peter is experiencing. Jesus is gone. Peter remembered these things and he knew what that meant for him, okay? Jesus had said it and Jesus meant it. There's a book that's going around right now in, in Christian circles, church circles, that's entitled, What If Jesus Meant What He Said? And I've not read the book. I probably won't read the book. I've not read the book, but... I can, I can comment on the title, okay? Because I know that if I read that title five years ago, that would have been a book I wanted to read. I'd have been very excited about that book. What if Jesus meant what he said? What if the things that Jesus said are the things that we should do? And what if he, what are the things that Jesus taught are the ways that we should live, right? Like I would have been excited about that book. So I can't comment on the book and I can't comment on the title of the book. I can comment on the fact that I would have been excited when I read that title. What if Jesus meant what he said? And I can say this, Jesus absolutely meant what he said, okay? He absolutely meant every single word that he said. Every single word, every single word. So what are the, some of the things that Jesus said? Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said that and he meant it. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He meant it. 
He said, know that I'm with you always to the end of time. And he meant it. He said, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other one. He meant it. He said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He meant those things. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. No, he meant it. He meant it. I believe that he meant it. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for a part of your body to lose part of your body than to lose your whole body in hell. He said it. He meant it. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for part of your part to lose part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. He meant it. Forgive and you'll be or and you'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. He meant it. Unless your righteousness far surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees, they lived a standard of behavior that you and I haven't even thought of. And unless our behavior surpasses, this is what Jesus says, unless your behavior far surpasses it, unless your righteousness far surpasses it, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' words. Jesus said, be perfect. Therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he meant it. <laughs> and for Peter, he said, if you deny me, I'll deny you. Jesus meant every single word. Right. And I believe that. I hear those things, and I feel like Peter in the moment that these women say, remember. Remember how he told you these things? Look at the list. Remember how he told you these things? Go back, read it. It's, it's in red in certain versions. Everything Jesus said, read it. Remember how he told you these things? And Peter says, oh, I remember. There's no hope. How can I hope to do half the stuff that Jesus said. How can I hope to be perfect? <laughs> what? How can I hope to do half the things that Jesus taught? Because I believe Jesus meant every single word that he said. So how can I hope to do it? I'm taking him literally. Because if you don't take him literally, then you're stuck in the situation of, well, what, do, what did he mean? Okay. Oh, he didn't mean that, really? Well, then what did he mean? How do we know? If he didn't mean everything, how do you know what he did mean? Well, as long as I try to do the things that he said, I mean, there's, there's, I'm going to fail, there's forgiveness, that's what the cross is for. He said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That kind of includes everything and succeeding at everything. Be perfect. That means no failures. Well, Jesus didn't really mean that. Well, what did he mean? What did he mean? This is where Peter is. This is where Peter is. This is where many of us are. I failed. I tried it. I'm giving up. Can't do it. 
there is no hope for me. If I look at the words of Jesus and I say, this is what I've got to do, there's no hope for me. I looked at the words. I read the books. Shoot, I started over and I read the whole Bible. What does it mean? I will never be able to do that. And the reason it makes me sick to my stomach to imagine Peter meeting Jesus eye to eye, knowing that he failed him is because I've been in that exact place. Meeting him eye to eye, saying, God, I said I would never do this. I said I'd never do that again. And yet here we are. And these women come to the apostles and they come to Peter with this message that he is alive. And he meant every single word of what he said. He said it, remember, he said this was gonna happen. He is alive. And Peter's response is, that's nonsense. That's illogical. He saw Jesus die right after he had denied him. Think of Peter without the information of the resurrection. Where is Peter? Peter's lost, no hope. There's nothing left. He denied Jesus. He failed him. He knows without question that Jesus knew that he failed him and that he denied him because their eyes met. And now Peter has to live with that. And this news of, a, a, of Jesus alive, it's nonsense. This news of the resurrection, I saw what happened. I know what happened. I know what he said. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, Peter got up and he ran to the tomb to see for himself the resurrection. So what drove the nevertheless for Peter? What drove it? What drove him beyond what made sense to him and what seemed logical to him? and beyond what fit into his knowledge and his understanding up to that point. What drove him to run and see for himself? Sheer desperation. Desperation. He was out of options. Jesus was dead. There's no getting around this failure. Hope of redemption for Peter was gone. And if there was even the slightest chance that what these women were saying was true, he was going to find out for himself. And so Peter runs to the tomb because he can't just take their word for it. Yes, it sounds like nonsense, but he has to know. And so he runs to the tomb and he finds the tomb empty. The only thing that's there is the grave clothes. The only thing that's there is the linens that was wrapped around the body. And who's going to steal a body and leave the clothes? It's got to be true. It has to be true. He sees for himself, and when Peter sees for himself, his demeanor changes. Luke says that he walked away from the tomb, marveling at all that had happened. And between you and me, I don't think Peter is just marveling at the resurrection. I mean, it's pretty incredible, right? Resur the resurrection, that's pretty incredible, but I don't think that's all he's marveling at. It says he marveled at all that had happened, remembering back to all that had happened, all that Jesus had taught, all that Jesus had said, all that Jesus had did, and he's marveling at what Jesus has accomplished. 
He's remembering back to all. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think he's suddenly enlightened with some kind of like, you know what? He knows what Jesus did as far as conquering spiritual death and all of a sudden. We know that you read the book of Acts and they're still figuring it out, right? We know that. But I think Peter knew. He knew that things weren't as they had been. And so he walked away marveling at all that God had done because he saw it for himself. He knew that things were not as they had been. Peter knew that what he knew, quote, air quotes, what he knew before, that Jesus was dead, that there was no hope, that he denied Jesus, that he was ashamed Jesus was ashamed of me. God was ashamed of me because I was ashamed of him, that I failed him, that it's over. Those are the things Peter knew before. I mean, look at the things that Jesus said. There's no hope for me. Peter knew that. But when he sees the resurrection for himself, everything changes. And what I'm trying to help us see today is that in our lives, Christian or not, when we see Jesus on the cross and we stop short of the resurrection like we talked about last week, man, if I take an honest look at the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus taught, or the things that the whole Bible says, right? If I, if I look at that honestly and I look at my life, Where's the hope? Where's the hope? When you stop short of the resurrection, there is still no hope. Because according to Jesus, if Jesus meant what he said, and he meant every single word of what he said, I believe that he meant it. If you stop short, according to Jesus, we might, I, may, I might as well throw up my hands and I might as well give up. Say, I, I can't do that. Where's the hope? Who can do that? Nobody can do it. Nobody can do it. And we can look at the times in our life, man, where we're on the highest of highs, like, like Peter. I said he's the Messiah, right? I claimed that he was the Messiah. I, I declared it. I, I, I stood tall for his name. I proclaimed his name. I, I, I blessed those who persecuted me. I visited the sick and the poor. I gave to the poor and the needy. Man, right? He told us to all those things. I stayed faithful in my marriage. I visited the imprisoned. But what about those times when I didn't? If we really believe that Jesus meant every single word that he said, then one time, one time puts me in danger of hellfire. Be perfect as your father is perfect. When you stop at the death of Jesus, short of the real power of the resurrection, we see our actions, our behaviors as the basis for our relationship with God. We see our behaviors as determining our identity. I sinned, therefore I'm a sinner. But when you see and understand the power of the resurrection for yourself, when it seems like nonsense, 
when according to all that I know, it's illogical, based on all the evidence that I have before me, based on all the evidence that I can see in my own life, if you will reach, you're nevertheless. Get up out of your self-condemning pity party for the one shred of tiny hope. What if it's real? What if the resurrection really is real? What if the resurrection really does mean that he makes me new? What if the resurrection really does mean that I am born again, spiritually made alive? What if? What if? What if the resurrection means that when you trust him for salvation, that you're no longer a sinner saved? That's not your identity anymore. That you're a child of God, you're born new, you're one with Christ. The resurrection means that your behavior does not determine your identity anymore. Christ determines your identity. Your birth determines your identity and the resurrection of Jesus when you say yes and you trust him, the resurrection of Jesus is the basis of your identity. Jesus Jesus said he's the way. Jesus said he's the truth. Jesus said he is the life. If you insert your name in any one of those places, you miss what he accomplished. He is the way, not Justin, not Justin's effort, not Justin's ability to do the things perfectly, not Justin's ability to do any of the things. He is the way. He is the truth not my ability to understand and articulate all things. He is the life. It's no longer Justin who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That scripture only makes sense with the resurrection. You can't interpret that teaching outside of the resurrection. Jesus is the way. Okay, so Jesus' way is the way. I'm gonna do things his way. Nope, you missed it. You missed it. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Not Jesus' way is the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. So if I gain wisdom and I properly understand all the things and I, no, you missed it. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life, and only Jesus, and it's for you. He did it all 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 for you. So I teach on this idea of our identity, of our state of righteousness, for those who believe in Christ so much because I believe it is the basis for being able to live the resurrection life. It's the life that he's given us. Because if I don't understand or if I don't have an understanding of my own righteousness, my own right being, not right doing, my own right being, that's righteousness, through Christ, and it's not of myself then I will always have a need to strive 
and always have a need to do something more in order to be accepted by God. I will always have that need to strive for something that makes me okay with God. But if I can understand that it's all been done for me in the person of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection, then I can enter into resurrection life. What does resurrection life look like? Back to our question. What does resurrection life look like? I think it looks like rest. Spiritual rest. Jesus said that I've come that you might have rest. Take my yoke upon you. Man, if his yoke is be perfect as my father is perfect and that's up to me, that's not rest. His yoke is what he has done for you. And the resurrection life is entering into that rest. If you look at Hebrews chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, we don't have time to go into this thing and, and, and to do it all justice. I wish we did. Maybe sometime we will. But if you look at, at Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4 talks about rest, Okay. And it talks about entering into that rest. So Hebrews 4, it says this, Therefore, or excuse me, verse 2, For we indeed, for indeed we have had a good, the good I can't preach. Let's start over. Verse 2, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also did, but the word that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united with those who listened with faith. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said. For we who have believed enter that rest. This scripture that the author of Hebrews is writing, he's writing about the time. Those that, that right there, the, for we indeed have had good news preached to us just as they also did. He's referring back to Moses and Israel right after they had gotten out of Egypt, if you read the whole thing. They had good news preached to them. God wanted a relationship with them, face-to-face relationship. God was offering that. You know what they said? Nope, we're scared. God, we need something instead of that. You know what came because of that? The Ten Commandments and 603 other ones. They wanted something that was not a face-to-face relationship with God. They wanted something that was in between them and God. We need a barrier. Moses, you speak for us. We don't want to go on the mountain. We're scared. Moses, we need something. We need a law. We need something, a behavior-based relationship that's not a relationship. We need a behavior-based system in order to relate to God. They had the opportunity. And Hebrews says, We've had good news preached to us just as they did, but they did not benefit from it because they were not of those who believed. For we who have believed enter that rest. That's good news. 
that God would want that kind of a relationship with us? That's what happened in the resurrection. That's what was made possible again by the resurrection because God said, listen, all this stuff, all these laws, all, that, all this behavior management system, it's not gonna bring life. It doesn't bring the relationship that I want with my children. It doesn't bring it. You know what brings it? Killing the old man and bringing to life the new man. The old man being Justin and bringing the new man alive in Christ. Read Romans. You can't avoid it. And then I get to rest in what Christ has done for me. But I understand that that news might seem too good to be true, that it might seem impossible, that it might seem inconceivable, that it might be illogical that, wait a minute, I'm dead and now I'm alive and who, what, I, I understand. It might seem illogical. It seems impossible. And I also understand that until you're like Peter and you get to the point where you've got nothing left and you look at the teachings of Jesus and you say, well, I can't do that. Until you get to the word that says, be perfect as your father is perfect and say, well, then who can do it? Until you get to that point, you don't have a reason to see the empty tomb. You don't have a reason to see what the resurrection has accomplished for you. What Jesus accomplished for you. But I'm inviting you, in spite of all that, to run. Drop what you have. As, as logical as it seems, nevertheless, run and see for yourself. See what the resurrection has accomplished for you. And when you do it, when you do it, when you get to the empty tomb and you see Jesus has raised from the dead and you reflect, when you remember on everything that he said based on the resurrection, when you remember everything that he said and he taught and he did and what he accomplished in light of the resurrection, all you can do is marvel and say, God, you really did that for me? You've really done it for me? I don't even know how to respond to that. I don't even know what to do with that. Rest. Rest. Jesus absolutely meant every single word he said. Not I'm gonna pick these and I'm gonna pick those and when he does it, he'll, or when I don't do it, he'll look over it. No, he meant every single word he said. So who can do it? No one. That was his point. So he did it for you. Who can live the Christian life? No one. So Christ did it for you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's resurrection life. That's resurrection life. If y'all want to stand to your feet as we get ready to go back into some worship. I need you to know 
that what Jesus said and what Jesus did and what he taught only makes sense in the context of the resurrection. If you're really going to believe everything that he said and what he did and what he taught, it only makes sense in the context of the resurrection. And it only makes sense if he's going to do it for you. It only makes sense that way. You can live a long time living according to his teachings. I don't believe he ever meant for people to live according to his teachings. I believe he meant to show people that you can't do it on your own. That's why he stepped it up. We can, listen, I come from a background that says the law is not the way. You know what's the way? Jesus, when he said, here, I'll step up the law and make it stricter. What? I thought he came for freedom. Where's the freedom in that? Do it harder. Work harder. Right? Strive longer. His point was, you can't do it. Somebody came to him and said, uh, I've done all the commandments. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? I've done everything according, like from the time that I was young on. And Jesus said, hey, that's great. I'm glad you did all of those things. Now give all your money to the poor. And the guy went away sad because he said, I can't do that. Jesus said, that's the point. It's not that he wants us to give our money, all of our money away to the poor. Yeah, we look after people. But he's not, that's not the point of what he was teaching. The point of what he was teaching is I will do it for you because you can't do it on your own. And where does that leave us? What does that leave for us to do? <laughs> Rest. Rest in what he's accomplished. Press into the relationship. God, I believe you made me new. I believe that, that I, I, I am a new person according to what you've done in me. And now I get to live life with God, not for God, with God. I get to live life with him, walking step for step with him. Not him on the other side of it, looking in disappointment in my eyes going, you screwed it up this time, Justin. Guess what? I screwed it up more times than you will ever know. We can talk about those if you want. But I, I he doesn't look at that and go, going to take some fixing here. He's standing right here with his arm around me going, <laughs> all right, let's work through it. Let's work through it. And it's only because of the resurrection. That's resurrection life. Resurrection life. Let's just pray. Father, we just thank you for this truth. God, I don't know what you're doing in this room. I don't know whose heart you're working on right now, but I believe you're working on somebody, maybe more than one somebody, who has tried to be good, who has tried to live according to your teachings, who has exhausted all options that they know how to do, and that they're, they're at the point of going, now what do I do? Because I couldn't even do that. I said I'd never do that again, but I did it, God. And all they see is disappointment in your eyes. But I know for a fact that because of the resurrection, you're not looking at, not looking at them with disappointment in your eyes. You're looking at them with love going, don't you know what I've done for you? Holy Spirit, 
reveal that truth to somebody in this room right now. Don't you know what I've done for you? Not a condoning, don't you know, don't you get it yet, I'm trying to teach you, but a, a welcoming, look, open your eyes, see the truth of what I've done for you. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this place. We love you, we worship you. If you need to move around and talk to somebody, I invite you to do that. I'm gonna be up here. We have some people at the back that would love to pray with you as well. Let's just worship a God who has made us new, a risen Savior who has made resurrection life possible. And it is rest with him.